Welcome to Malcolm Reed's How to Barbecue Right, a podcast where we talk about barbecue, share recipes, and discuss all things delicious. And now, here's your host, Malcolm and Rochelle Reed. Hey, welcome back to the How to Barbecue Right podcast. This is episode number 10. I'm your host, Malcolm Reed, joined by my lovely wife, Rochelle. Rochelle, how's it going? It's going good, Mal. I'm real good. We have a guest in the studio today. We do. Mr. Heath Riles. Heath Riles Barbecue has joined us. Uh, Heath, how you doing, man? I'm doing good this morning. Good, man. We appreciate you coming out and talking to us a little bit. I know you got a busy schedule. You're headed out of town tomorrow and and uh, got a lot of stuff going on in your plate, but we wanted to just talk some shop with you, man. Talk about barbecue. So uh, thanks, for, thanks for being here. Thank yeah. you for having me. Tell everybody a little about Heath now. Well, Heath has been cooking barbecue. I think we all started about the same time. I mean, you were kind of in the same boat I was. We started kind of in the backyard, and I think you dabbled in KCBS a little bit, uh, a little bit before we did. But we really come up, and I know you came up mainly through the MBN, Memphis MA Network, uh, and then it switched to MBN. Um, Man, how many grands have how many grands have you got just since you've been doing Heath Riles barbecue? In twenty thirteen I kinda of broke off and started doing my own thing with Victory Lane Barbecue. And since September of twenty thirteen at Praise the Lord on my own in Murfreesboro, Illinois, to date fifty four grand championships. Wow. That is incredible. And but hey, these aren't only like MBN grands. We're talking KCBS grands. That's, um that's rare. You're, you're pro- to do NBN and KCB. Oh, yeah. He's he's the only man that I know of that's won a double or a duel, if you want to call it, where it's a KCBS and an NBN at the same time. And how many times have you done that? I've done it once, but I also granted an NBN and reserved a KCBS in Virginia uh, the year before I done the won both of them in April at Springfest. Yeah. I don't know anybody that's done that. I mean, I know there hasn't been a lot of these contests, but to win an NBN and a KCBS in the same day with the way the turn-ins are, man, that's hands down. That's awesome, brother. And it was a 700 on KCBS, a 702. Wow. And I want to say that I had a perfect score in finals in NBN that day also. <laughs> hey, you ain't bragging. You're just backing it up, right? That's it. That's all I can do. That's all you can do, man. You're one well, of the top guys in competition barbecue right now. When people talk about competition barbecue, your, your name always comes up. So we're glad you're here. We want to talk to you a little bit about Whole Hulk. About everything going on, but first, before we do that, we're going to talk about um, the recipe we did this week. Yeah, we all, you know we always like to go there first, and this one that we released uh, yesterday is is one um, where I, it's another one of those teach and learn me kind of videos where I had somebody come in, uh, Shane Draper Heath. I know you know Shane Draper from Grilla Grills. Shane's been cooking a long time; he's a hell of a pit master too. Um, he he came in and he wanted to show us uh, how to do some Japanese influenced street tacos. And he didn't come with just one taco. Shane came with three. He did a ribeye, he did a tuna steaks, and he did a slab of ribs. And he turned all these into different style of tacos. Man, they were awesome. I mean, I, the, well, steak, the steak taco was the very first one. It blew me away. Now, I will take a little credit because he let me cook the ribeyes on that. I did an excellent job. I ain't going to lie. <laughs> no, it was, that, 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 that part was easy, man. I thought it was, you know, do the one minute 30 and then... I cooked them rare, so I, I broke it down to a minute 30 just each turn, and he glazed them with the, man, don't get me to lie about some of those Japanese sauce. words. I'll call it eel sauce. Yeah. That's what we order at the sushi restaurant. But that, yeah. put a beautiful glaze on them. But, 
And he had asparagus and corn in there. And it was really good. Heck yeah. For the steak, asparagus, and corn. It was a nice little take with the Japanese flavor to it. And then he did a whole slab of ribs, pulled those, and made rib tacos with a Asian slaw. Yeah, he had a, it was like a was very Japanese dry rubs, what I called it. He, I mean, it's got, you know, some word that I can't, it's another one I can't say. <laughs> <laughs> but it was good, man. It was like a spicy dry rub, put a nice crust on those ribs, and he cooked them extra tender. I mean, we didn't wrap them or anything. He just put them on that silver back and let them roll on pretty much until the bones drew back, you know, a long way, and then he just deboned it. I mean, it was, pull the bones out, chunk the meat up, put it in a taco, and for street tacos, I mean, you can't, I mean, I was really impressed with them. The, the rib taco was my favorite, but you said the steak taco was your favorite, yeah. right? Yeah, tuna really was good. good, but, you know, that goes back to, I said it in the video, why am I eating tuna when I got ribs and steak? I mean, come on, man. Carnivore. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But uh, we always talk about what you would do differently. I know it wasn't your recipe, but is there anything you would have done differently? No, no. I was impressed with those. I mean, I heck, I ate some more steak tacos. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you've done differently. Yeah. Had some cold beer to go with it or something. All right, Heath. You want to talk about your background? Yeah. yeah. Um, I got started in 1997, actually, the year that I graduated high school. And um, started cooking a few KCBS a year with a friend of mine's uncle that had a team in Ashland, Mississippi called Tipper Bottom Hog Rustlers. And his name is Don Moody. And he still cooks every now and then, but mainly he does fish fry caterings and a little bit of barbecue and stuff like that. And he caters at the Ames Plantation and the Bird Dog Field Trials up in Tennessee and stuff every year. But uh, I started off cooking with him, and we borrowed a cooker from him one time and went to a contest in, in Ashland, Mississippi, our hometown. And, of course, us being young, rowdy kids, we may have got a little too rowdy then. And he said, y'all need to build your own pit and do your own thing. And so um, I went out and I had took welding in school and I found me a piece of pipe and built my own first cooker. That sounds that sounds about like how we got started back in the day. We <laughs> partied a lot more than we could. Um, but you got to start somewhere, right? Well, That's what got know, us hooked. And it was all fun. And um, I kept graduating up and I bought a trailer from John Bird, two little pigs in Dyersburg, Tennessee, and bought a rotisserie pit from him. And, and then I ended up with... Um, uh, well, ended up getting divorced and moving to Olive Branch. And um, I ended up um, buying a backwoods cooker and changing my team name to Boar's Night Out and kind of formed that team with some guys. It was all of us. It was six of us. We were freshly divorced. <laughs> so at the, and that's about the time I met y'all um, yeah. in 2006. I uh, remember those days. We, yeah. we would cook beside each other at Spring Fest. And, man, one year – I know you probably remember. I don't, I don't know, know how many say. kegs of beer both of our teams went through, but we built a wall. 26, I remember. It was 26 kegs of beer. Man. I worked for the beer company then. It was 26 kegs. And, yeah, y'all and had Hooters girls. Y'all we, had the whole Hooters. We were sponsored by Hooters, <laughs> and uh, we had a lot of chicken wings. And, uh, <laughs> and crab legs, and shrimp, and everything. <laughs> and we went through like almost 80 can cases of beer, and the fire marshal stood outside our tent. And when one person left, one person could get I, in. I remember, I remember it very clearly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess it was clearly. It's, yeah. it's a little foggy. <laughs> I don't think Those are the good old days. Too, I don't we think none of us done too good. I did. Uh, we did win a baked bean trophy. I think we got chicken. <laughs> we, got, we got one of our first place chickens. We weren't, I mean, this was back in, we were still backyard. We weren't in the pro division back then. I don't, as far as 2006 was the year that, that we actually cooked Memphis in May for the first time as a patio team. So we had to turn pro after that. So Springfest would have been right before. 
Yeah, that's young. Heydays. Oh, we, we were so young then. <laughs> but you've come a long way since then. I mean, you that now you're more serious. You kind, I guess, you kind of adapted over the years, and all that partying gets out of you. And you get a little bug where you start. You won those first few contests, and then it hits you. I know it did for me. Was it, tell, tell us what it was like for you. Well, you know, I was so close on so many contests, and I was missing one category or, you know, in the NBN side when it changed over in 2007 from MIM, same rules applied. I was just always so close, and I was just missing out. And so I was so determined to do better uh, that I practiced, practiced, practiced. And in 20, September of 2013, um, uh, I had left Borsod out and, and was doing my own thing and uh, met some guys that owned Victory Lane Barbecue at a Hooters. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, crowd crazy. And, um, you know, they said, hey, why don't you come cook, be the cook for us, and we'll see how it goes. And the very first contest we went that March, and um, I took a first-place hog, a second-place shoulder, a fourth-place rib, and a first-place sauce. And that's the first trophies they ever won and um, got going from there. And just kind of snowballed in September. Um, won my first grand in Murfreesboro, Illinois, and uh, myself. And uh, ever since then, it just it started popping and started coming like clockwork. And the next year, I won nine contests. And uh, the next year, I won 12 contests out of 13 I cooked in. Wow. And took uh, 12 first-place shoulders. Out of 13 contest took one second place the whole season. Well, that was one thing we wanted to talk about today. I know that in NBN, you know, it's hog, shoulder, and rib, and you've won grands in all of them. Um, how many times have you been like since they started doing the NBN team of the years? What all, what all the accolades 20, there? 2014, 2015, 2016, and 2017 have won team of the years. Um, you know, in 20. 13, I didn't win but a couple contests. In 2014, I actually won Team of the Year with Whole Hog. Was Hog your best category? In what's, 2014, what's it was my best category. In 2015, Shoulder was my best category. 2016, Rib was my best category. And then in 2017, I kind of retired from Hog and just started doing Pork and Rib, and so Shoulder was my best category again. That Hog's, that's kind of what I wanted to talk to today was about, was about Hog cooking. I know you're... You know, you've won all these grands, and a lot of them have been with hog, and I thought it would be a good time to, to talk about cooking a whole hog because we get a lot of questions um, about it. And for me, cooking a whole hog is probably the, the best thing or my favorite thing to cook because it takes a lot to do it. It's not something easy. And I know you came over, uh, what was that, been two years ago, Shell, since we did the, uh, the hog video? And you actually come over and helped uh, and helped uh, cook that hog that uh, – it was uh, New Year's. Yeah, we did a hog, New Year's. We did it for New and Year's uh, so I just wanted to talk a little bit get, from your side point. What it takes to cook a whole hog? What got you into cooking whole hogs? Just take it and go from there. When I think of a whole hog cook, I think of you. You know. Well, I, you know, started out just playing around. You know, cooking hogs many years ago, uh, just cooking them to eat. You know, we did at parties that we threw back when I was sixteen and seventeen years old, and as time went on, I learned how to cook comp hogs. Turned into um, an obsession. You know, because it is the granddaddy of them all, you know, and it's very hard to get the ham, shoulder, and loin, three different parts of the hog done at separate times and still win with it. And, um, you know, Pat Burke was a huge mentor for me, answering a lot of questions and stuff like that, and so was John David Wheeler, and uh, so was Mark West uh, from Ten Bones Barbecue. And Those are some 
<laughs> some awesome hog because you bring Pat and John David and West into the conversation, man, those guys have done it in hog. They, they do. Pat, especially. I'd, I'd hate to guess how many how many hogs he's cooked over his time at Tower Rock. Before I went to uh, Murphy's Bro the first time, I want to say it was 2011 or 2012. Pat, I remember listening to the, seeing the awards on Facebook, right, before they had live stream of who won. And Pat Burke built a brick pit and cooked all three categories on a brick pit and really? swept that contest up there. Really? Yes. And that was 2011 or 2012. And that was kind of a big inspiration for me. I said, I have to go there. And so every year I'm actually beside Pat's spot with his grandsons that cook in there now. And it was really unique listening to Pat. And I had the blessing of being beside him in Memphis May this year. And we talked a lot. And, um, you know, whole hog is one of those things that he's kind of got away from now too because he's gotten older. Um, but it, it's just so fascinating to take a, such a big cut of meat, you know, 150 to 200 pounds and turn it into, you know, winning grand champion at the end of the day. I mean, it's amazing. Let's talk about just if somebody was going to cook a hog at home, what size hog? What would you recommend them starting with? You know, if you're if you're going to cook a hog or feed some people, what do you want to cook? What's your ideal size hog? I like about 140 to 160 pounds, and that's a 20 pound swing. But it kind of depends on how much you're going to feed. You know, and you're looking at about a 50 to 60 percent loss when it's said and done by the time you get the meat out of it. So you got to think about how many people you're going to feed, and um, a lot of us still cook that same size and just cook some butts or some extra to go with it, but. I would definitely stay in the 150 pound range if it was me cooking. That's, you know, that's exactly what we would shoot for too. And the reason why I always said you may have a different take on it was because the shoulders and the hams are a little more proportionate when you get to that 150 pound range. If you cook those smaller hogs, and I've had a lot of questions, people want to cook a 75 to 100 pound hog. They're just so small at that size. It's harder to get it all done at the same time because it's, the shoulders and hands aren't proportionate. Well, like you said, the smaller ones, the shoulders are so much smaller on a, on a smaller hog like that. When you get to that 140, 50, 60 pound range, they seem like they're really more consistent in the size they should be. And so when it comes to cooking them like that, we always laid them on the fat caps of the of the shoulders, you know, that come off our whole shoulders we were cooking also. A little more insulation? A little more insulation on that loin underneath because we were cooking with a water cooker. And we always stuffed the cavity when we busted it open with uh, butter, bacon, and sausage. And I, my magic number was six pounds of sausage, ten pounds of bacon. And, you know, then we also covered that the middle of the hog with foil to kind of shield any heat. When and you say bacon, you mean uncured? Or cured. Cured bacon. Yeah, just regular I mean, breakfast bacon. Regular old breakfast bacon and put it yeah. on top. So it was, I know you, it looks awesome when it's cooked, but is it because of the flavor in the bacon or just for insulation too on the loins? Insulation, or? you know, and I kind of took it as as fat rendered in the sausage and bacon and whatnot. It was kind of self-based in that loin, you know, with pure pork flavor again. So you slowed that loin down by adding more mass to it, but you're also flavoring it. That's right. Um, Go back to what kind of pit would you like to cook on? Say, what do you think is the ideal hog pit? I know there's all kinds, and you can do it on a brick pit if you wanted to, but, you know, Heath Browse is cooking hogs. What do you cook a hog me, on? I, I really enjoy a backwood smoker, a pro-comp hog cooker. Um, I'm a big fan of a water cooker when it comes to cooking a whole hog. Uh, I love a CTO double-wide uh, dry cooker also. But to me, that water cooker, when you cook a, I'm I'm cooking a hog belly up. 
the way I think a hog should be cooked. A running style hog is very pretty, but um, I have not seen a ton of them just win contests or let me back up besides <laughs> Melissa Cooks. <laughs> and, and, and the shed has done real well. Um, and well, I think. Melissa and Cook there is a little bit different, though. They opened it up and got some flavor on it, you know, on the whole shoulders and the loin. Uh, and they just figured out a technique that worked for them on the water smoker. You know, I've, I've always said that that belly up hog, the skin acts as kind of a bowl. So it holds all that flavor and all that moisture in there. And when I've judged whole hogs, the meat's just a little more tender. It's a little more flavorful. I mean, it's not as pretty laid out there. It's all splayed open, but you get to make bark on it. And you know, that, that to me, that goes a long way too, is I like bark on my barbecue. It does, and, and I'm sure when you've cooked whole hog in a contest back in the day that, you know, you kind of had some you and stuff left in that cavity, and when you pulled that meat out, you kind of drug it through. Run it right back through it. Before you put it on that platter, and it was just one of those things that it was so flavorful, your you was in there. Especially the bacon and sausage dripping. Yeah, everything <laughs> rendered down. Yeah, I mean, and your base. Wonderful. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a ton of flavor there. Uh, how long is it taking you to cook hogs? A 150-pound hog, what, you could say you want to cook it at, everybody always wants to know time and temp. 16 so. to 20 hours at about 250 degrees. That's 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 a good time there. Uh, you're cooking, what about, that's about 10, is that about 10 pounds per hour, something like that? Yeah, you're something cooking 16 like that. Hours? At, I always started, what is it? I say 16 to 20, I started with a cold cooker. So it was full of cold water or, you know, room temperature, water ambient. And so I put the hog on, then I lit the pit. So it took a good three to four hours for the pit and all to come up. So I'm getting some cold smoke first. And it's easier to load it on on a cold smoker than yeah. it is trying to move that big hog around a hot pit. It is. And so you get it going and it really don't start cooking for about four hours in. You know, and then you're in that smoker about every hour and a half basing it until, you know, a good six hours goes by. So you're, you're a good 10 hours in before you wrap it up and it's got cold smoke and it's got some color to it and you wrap it up. And to me, that's when you, you do the cooking those six to eight hours after that. You leave it alone. Don't open the door. Just what maintain your temp of 250 degrees and let it go. You know, that's um, what a lot of people have trouble with too is wrapping that whole hog. I mean, you know, we treat them just like you do shoulders or just like you do butts or ribs. You put smoke on them at first. When they get the right color, that's when you're talking about wrapping it. And um, what when you wrap a hog, what's your technique? Well, I would lay a lot of foil down, you know, those carousel racks on those uh, backwood smokers. I would first spray them with uh, Pam so the foil wouldn't stick to the racks and it would come off real easy and clean real easy. And I would lay out short pieces and kind of roll them up on the ends where when I unrolled it, it would go over the hog. And I would do four down it, and then I would do three long pulls down it, and then I would come back with some more short pulls. So I'd do the short over it first, then the long, and then the short. And then I always took and pulled some about three foot long and kind of tucked it around the hams and shoulders underneath and wrapped them up real good separately too. You know, that's a lot of uh, people's problems, I think, is not wrapping the hog good enough and wrapping it loosely. You have to have that hog really tightly wrapped in order to get it done. That's what's that's what's trapping that heat, that temperature, that moisture, and tenderizing it. That's right. Because the first part is flavor. All that rub and the base, the building the bark, smoke on it, that's your flavor. But cooking that hog in that time where it's wrapped up tight, that's what's getting that tenderness there. That's what's driving it through. That's right. And especially cooking at such a low temp, you really have to start it. I mean, we always put them on at 2 o'clock in the day. 
like that and fire them up cold so they really don't get to cook until about 5, 30 or 6, you know. And then you're wrapping it 11, 10, 30, 11. And then so for the next usually six and a half, seven hours, Somewhere up in there, you know, you're you're not checking it till six a.m. the next morning. Yeah, probing it, leaving you leaving thermometers. I never probed mine. I just kind of done it by I knew where it was going to be. Mine was always about one hundred and forty to one hundred and fifty when I wrapped. I knew that it was going to hit a stall somewhere around one hundred and sixty-five or one hundred and seventy, and it was going to stay in that stall for about three hours, three and a half hours. So I could go to sleep, and once I filled it up with two more bags of charcoal, she would just sit there and hum. If nothing, no power affected the barbecue gurus or anything like that. Um, and you could just about bet the next morning, it was between seven and eight when I always checked everything. I was going to be about 175 in the hams and about 185, 190 in the shoulders. And a lot of times the way I insulated my loin, I was 145 degrees. Uh, it was just techniques that I followed and they, it, it was like a science. I had it down. If you got loins at that temp and hams and shoulders sitting there, I mean, you're, you knew you're in the money when you saw that, huh? Yeah, they could go ahead and write a check, ninety nine. <laughs> well, you talked about flavor, you know, getting the flavor on the front end. Um, what's your process for that? For the rubbing, the injecting, do you do you inject? I do inject. I actually have a big chops power injector, you know, the electric ones, and uh, people always kind of made fun of me because I carried a five gallon bucket and uh, I always have a drill and a paint paddle. And I would mix up my injection. I mixed up four gallons of it. And with a normal injector, you can't put as much into a hog as you can with one of those power injectors. So you could watch me blow a ham up, and it would double in size of how much injection I put in it. Why is the power injector working so well? I guess because it steady pumps in it, and you're not having to do it with your hand. It's forcing it in. It's forcing it in there. And some of it does run out. I'm going to say we probably got a true three gallons into the hog. Not forced, probably a gallon runs out by the time it's said and done. Um, but it just gets so much in there. And, you know, I've injected with so many different things. And now it's just apple juice and brown sugar in my injection and some concentrate apple juice. And back in the day, I used to use some tropical flavors and, you know, pineapple juice and all mango and all that. And I kind of got away from that kind of luau flavor and went more just to sweetness. And, and it worked out very well. Did you ever inject the shoulders different from the hams yeah. and the loins different? You I kept the same flavor? The same. And the only thing it. I did start doing, actually, when I got really consistent was I stopped injecting the loin very much. I hit it very lightly because if you, I know you have, and some listeners probably had, and when you went in the next morning to roll the loin out, if you injected it a lot, it's such a delicate piece of meat, it would bust in half on you. And so not putting a lot of injection in it and separating those fibers in a loin will cause you to get it out of their hole. And that was, I had to learn that, you know, I couldn't figure out why my loin was busting on me or even it was read 150 degrees, 145, it was busting in half on me. Pressure of that injection was splitting it up. It was splitting it up, you know. And so when I stopped really injecting the loin and just letting the butter, bacon, and sausage kind of self-baste it down the cavity of the hog, and I would get my flavor on the back end by making a dip and barbecue sauce and some ground down barbecue rub, or I built a box with it. You know, I've done so much better with the loin. Uh, what kind of smoke were you using? What do you like? To, what, what's I'm your profile? I'm always a big fan of cherry wood. And I love cherry and peach wood together, but a lot of times we can't get peach around here. And I'm a fan of green wood, not dried up wood. Really? I am. Uh, you can you can buy dried wood, you know, you can at many stores. I actually met a guy named Jimmy Farrell at um, 
at the cleaners one morning, actually, and he's a tree arborist. <laughs> and so I got to talking to him about wood, and um, and I wanted to know if he was interested in selling me some wood for barbecue. And he said, well, do you think anybody buy it? I'll start cutting some up. And so I said, just get some burlap bags and spray paint your logo on them with some stencils, and you've not got much in it, and, and see how it goes. And now a lot of barbecue teams use his wood, and you're one of them. Oh, yeah. I use, you know, and Jimmy, Jimmy gives us some wood to use, and, man, it's good stuff. And well, I love it. I'm my just, theory is I've kind of went to hickory and cherry, but just a little bit of hickory mixed in with it just for the traditional barbecue flavor. But my take on it is when you're not cooking on a stick burner like a jambo, you do want to dry wood on that to burn a clean smoke. But when you're in a water smoker or an old hickory or deep south smoker or whatever, it does not take a lot of wood to get a good smoke flavor because it's green. It smokes and smolders more. That's the one thing I learned. If you use that green wood, you better watch how much you put on it because it'll it'll, it'll oversmoke it quick. Well, like me, don't get me wrong. I don't want to throw logs or wood every hour. I don't want to have to put it on the fire. And the type of cookers that we all cook on, Space you know, it using out. only a few pieces of green wood, I can get the smoke flavor that I need. And hog, I was kind of, uh, when I said I had it down, um, I was real precise at what I do. It was 30 pounds of charcoal in the, in the thing spread out. It was 12 pieces of wood, four pieces of hickory, eight pieces of cherry, and six onions cut in half on the fire. So you, you had it measured out to the team. I had it measured. I wanted the same consistent thing week in, week out. And that's what made me a dominant force. I was so particular that I wouldn't pull my meat out of the cooler to a certain time. It had to not five minutes till. It had to be right up straight up 10 o'clock before my meat come out of the cooler. I wanted everything to be the same no matter what. Was a lot of that superstition too, or was it, it just was. <laughs> no, I'm including just the underwear that I wore, the same ones every Saturday? Lucky, the lucky shoes. And I did wash them. I did wash them. <laughs> well, okay, that covers the wood. What well, about. I have a question. Sure. You know, one thing that people, I think, don't understand a lot of time is how you can hold a hog. And I wanted to talk to you about how you hold a hog and how long you can hold a hog. Well, you know, it would be done a lot of times. The back side of the cooker always cooks hotter. So you always want to be sure that the back side of the hog is going to be a little more done than the front side on that backwoods cooker. It was just the way that the smoke and heat rolled up. Now, wait a minute. Do you, do you spin that hog at any time? I do. When, you know I wrap that it, when I wrap it, I spin it. And so you always want to be sure you serve the side. You spun around there to cook all night long with the door shut. You know, it was always going to be done more. So I served that side first for preliminaries and blind box. And then I had that hog to spin for finals. And so as soon as we got done serving that hog at 10 o'clock in the morning, we'd wrap it back up and finals didn't start the majority of the time until 1245. And so you were going to be either 1245, 103, and then about 18 minutes after that, which is what, about 120, 121, something like that was the next one. So you were going to be one of those teams if you made finals. And the good thing about that backwoods smoker, you could have a little bit of fire in it. You could choke it down, turn it down to about 160 degrees, and it's just like a huge camber over to hold that hog. That water is staying so consistent. That's that's the one thing about water. I mean, it does provide some moisture, but it's insulation, so it holds. Once you get that it, water hot, it, it holds that heat forever. And you just got to choke it down. You got to wrap that hog back up. And I was always big about making up some more injection without the injection powder and the phosphate or nothing, just to flavor-wise with some pork base in it, and I'd shoot that hog back up to make sure on the side when I made finals. And so I had a fresh side, and, you know, they allowed garnish in, and so you'd fill up the side that you've kind of busted up. Did you warm that injection with. up a little? or did you I just... did. I heated it up boiling hot and, and 
bloat up the ham, not bloat it up, but put a little more in the ham and a little more down the Just loin. replacing what you rendered Just out. Just replacing what's rendered <laughs> out, and it's been sitting in there for another four, four and a half hours, five hours. And so um, everything always turned out really, really well. You do a lot of catering. You do a lot of hog catering. Do you cook them differently, catering, in competition? Uh, if somebody wants it running style, I do. I just inject it and rub it down and cook it where it looks real pretty. Um, but if I'm going to cook one belly up, I always cook it competition style. Really? Yeah, but you don't want to have to pay for that. A lot of people don't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, a There's lot of a lot people of baby in realize they want a hog. They tell you they want one until you put the price on them. And, you know, our time is valuable and to set up all night long to where it's not messed up. You know, I'm normally charging fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars for a whole hog because you have to sit there and serve it too. It's not something you can just give them like pulled pork and let them go at it. I think a whole, uh, you know, a big part of that catering hog though is they want you there to do it. They want to, you know, people people that want to do a hog aren't doing a hog just because they want to feed a lot of people. They're wanting the show. They're wanting to showcase it. They want to take pictures with oh, it. They want you to tell about it a little bit. So. You know, the money, I think, is worth it to them when what they're getting. I mean, if they just want a barbecue, like you said, you'd do butts. Well, we can show up with, and, you know, 10 pounds running, of butts and feed 2,000 people. But. That's right. I've run into a lot of instances where they wanted you to tear into one side of the hog, but the other side they wanted you to leave intact so they could take pictures mm-hmm. with it. And it's a Present big display it, yeah, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And so we always, most of the time, would cook more butts. And as we got rid of the shoulder and the ham and the loin on one side, we would kind of pull a butt out and kind of pull it apart and put it in that cavity there and just keep serving so people can still take pictures and that one side wouldn't touched or messed up. Let's go back to people out there. They want to cook a hog and may have never done it. What are some things that they need to know as far as if they need a cooker? Or what's, you know, we already talked about what size hog to get. What's some other things they can expect or would know to help them out to be able to cook this hog and have it turn out decent. Give them an extra three or four hours of what they think it's going to take because nine times out of ten, a fresh hog cooker out there that had never cooked one's playing with it is either A, going to not have it done when it needs to be done, or, you know, like I said, we you can hold that hog. And a lot of guys are cooking on old brick pits or old school stick burner pits, you know, those big old insulated boxes or, Old fuel tanks from back in the day they've made cookers out of. And, and it's just, you got to take, it's patience. I mean, if I had to say the number one thing that you need to cook a hog if you're going to start, is patience. And you have some great videos out on the internet and so do some other people. And uh, there's a couple out there that I've got out there actually, um, so come to think about it. Um, you know, but you just need to be sure that um, you don't overcook your loin. So you need an insulator on the bottom of that hog, depending on if you're going to cook it on its back. Or if you're going to cook it running style, stuff that cavity with something. If you don't have shoulder skins, what could you lay under there? Um, Butts open or something? Yeah, you could cut down some butts. Get get the butcher to cut you some big two-inch pork steaks, you know, or inch-and-a-half pork steaks to lay down it. So take a couple butts and cut them up. When you said lay down it, you mean you put it on the grate and then lay the hog on top of that? Lay the hog on top of it, just on the loin section, not the whole hog. You know, don't don't cover the underneath because you need those hams to cook. But don't forget that foil, though. So the foil. Yeah, but don't forget the foil. So lay down the foil, then the pork steaks where the loin is going to be at. And it takes two good-sized men to lay that hog up there, if not three, to get it on the pork steaks and get it right. You know, I'll say that's another thing, Tip. Don't think you're just going to tackle this hog by yourself. Yeah. You could... A man can do a hog by himself, but you really need help. I mean, you need help moving it around. 
putting it on the rack, getting it out of the cooler. You don't realize 150 pounds of dead weight. That's pretty dead solid. Well, I'm a I'm a consider myself a full grown man. And if you think <laughs> you're going to pull it out of an ice chest and pick it up with the water in the cavity and it's done, you know, all that in the ice chest and get it out there and throw it up on your shoulder. Uh, don't be like me and have to go to the chiropractor a day or two later because it will hurt you. You do need some help. And that's part of the appeal for doing the hog is it's kind of like something you do. You get together with a group of people and you, it's the community aspect of it and the hanging out and the camaraderie aspect of it. And that's why people want to do it. And I think it's a measure of a pit. I've always said that. If you're really a pit master, you got to know how to cook a hog. Everybody considers itself to be a pit master should have to at least know how to cook a whole hog. That's right. That's exactly right. And and it's the epitome of barbecue. I mean, you know, it's it's where everything else comes from. That's it. And so to be able to do that, I'm, I agree with you, Malcolm, 100%. Guys that have never cooked a whole hog, there's some great cooks out there that's never cooked one. But to get that blessing, I think, as a, a true pit master, you need to demonstrate a whole hog. And it's not a, it's not as bad a process as you think it might be. I mean, to me, the work's in the prep. That's if, if you if you get that hog seasoned up, you get it injected, you get it laid on the rack with the full in the right place, all it's a matter of getting it on the grill and running that fire at that point is easy. That's it's cold beer time after that. Yeah. I mean you're gonna you talk about it. you smoked it for a few hours, you wrapped it up with the full you already had staged, you let it cook and just maintain that fire, and you take it off and break it down. I mean, it's one thing to know how to serve it to judges, where to get the beat from and all that, but most of the time we're talking eating hogs. So you're just going to break all the shoulder down, break all the ham down, then break the loin down. And I like to serve it in those three sections. I mean, save the bacon. You know, that's that's for the special people. You don't people. tell people about that bacon. <laughs> you know. And, you know, I remember a guy one time told me that uh, he went to a party and the hog looked demolished. And uh, they cooked it on his back like that. And they said, well, there's no more barbecue for anybody to eat. And he went over there and he said, well, where's some gloves at? And he took his gloves and he first went in there and he pulled the bacon out of the the belly of the hog and then he raised the spine bone up and there's two beautiful loins laying underneath there that nobody had even got out all they had eat was the shoulders and the hams and then you go and into so, that jowl yeah, <laughs> well, a lot of people don't really know nothing about that jowl meat um and the temple meat that's one of my favorite that, that meat is right over that I eye socket ate any oh man meat. you know i do it all the time whenever we're cooking hogs when, when everybody thinks it's over I grab that head, pull the skin right off of it, and all that meat's right there, and break that head down. And the ocular meat. Oh, too. that's that temple meat. That's a, that's a, man, it's so good. I remember we had some jowl when we cooked that hog over here. Yeah, for New Year's it was good. But a lot of people don't understand when you say bacon out of a whole hog, they're thinking strips of breakfast mm-hmm. bacon. And so when you go into that belly meat and start pulling out those strands of the meat that you would see, they're a foot and a half long. Yeah, a foot and a half long. <laughs> you know, that's the ice cream. Of a whole hog, that's the dessert, is what we like to call it for the judges. Um, we had someone ask us; they were talking about uh, cooking a whole hog, and they were expecting to slice the ham, you know, cut the ribs, pull the shoulder meat, slice, and the then slice meat. the bacon. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, yeah, and serve the bacon almost like breakfast. They're going to fry the bacon. They had no idea, you yeah. know. It's really um, amazing for somebody the first time to see that. And to see how it all breaks down and comes apart, it, it amazes a lot of people. Yeah, it's I've impressive. hooked a lot of people on barbecue, feeding them whole hog like that, and then giving them some of that bacon, some of that you know loin cooked properly. That's that's when you you know somebody falls in love with. You them. want to spoil somebody? You give them a barbecue sandwich made with bacon. <laughs> you want to spoil? Somebody. Oh hey, I, I, I you know I do just I'll cook just the bellies. 
I treat it the same way, just season it up like a pork butt, put it on the smoker, get some color on it, wrap it up tender it and shred it. It's so rich, you can't eat, but yeah, if you can get through a sandwich, you're man, because it's, man, it's rich. I know. It's really good with some good vinegar sauce. But yeah, so I mean, that's pretty much hog cooking, man. I mean, we could sit here all day probably and talk about how to cook, you know, but uh, I think we covered the bases on it. Oh, I uh, can tell so many old war stories about cooking hog and so many things has happened and, you know, there's... Do you know how many hogs you've cooked? Do you uh, have a number? Probably close to 200. Um, That's crazy. But the one contest that sticks out for me out of all of them is uh, Cleveland, Mississippi, about 2014, I think it was. It may have been 2015. But it, it was raining that night uh, when I kind of left to go to the hotel and I left my night guy there. And... He called me later on. It was like four thirty, five o'clock in the morning. It was raining hard. Then it woke me up at the hotel, lightning, storming. He said, man, the water's done got the tent. The tent's down out here. He said, but I got the side closed down on the trailer. We're all good. So the next morning I got there right at 6 to put ribs on, and there's water pouring out front of the backwoods cooker. And it was raining so much that it was blowing water down the stacks. The cooker was still maintaining temp. I told him to bump it up to 275. Um, and so as much cold water was going in, the pit was still, we were still shoveling fire to it to keep it going. Huh? You had that auto water going? I had the auto <laughs> water going. And I opened the drain up and let it drain for a good two to three minutes, you know, because it was so much water. There was a creek behind us. It didn't matter about it going on the ground there. And, um, we looked around 45 minutes later and water's coming out of the door again because it's still raining so hard. And we all opened the cooker again and drained water out of it. And I'd done that three times. It was raining so hard down there that the water was flowing down a little hill where we were at down there parked. The creek was about to come out of its banks behind the trailer. And there was a Yeti cooler that had now put two or three bottles of water left in it, a little 45 quart. The water picked it up and started carrying it toward the creek. And we had to catch it. But it was raining so bad that day. And uh, that was 20... That was 2015 because that's the first time I won that contest. Um, Did you win it with Hog? <laughs> uh, actually, I think I won it with Shoulder, to be honest with you. Uh, but the Hog did take a first place. It did. Um, we, had a, we had a story similar to that in Hogs for the Calls down in New Orleans. Yeah. We had to get uh, <clears throat> stripping boots and... Uh, we had full dead Rain gear, crab fishing yeah. rain gear. It was raining so hard. You had to have two people on the tent just pushing water off of it. We were, I mean, there's guys out there, P-Rose, floating around, right around, I mean, right around our trailers and stuff. I mean, it was waist-deep water in places. Yeah. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, it, you talk about miserable. I know I know the feeling being out there. There's nothing well, you can do. You got that all going. You got to cook it. Well, when you've got that much money invested like we did then, there ain't no going to the hotel. There ain't no going to... Well, I'm out today, and I'm just going to the house, and I'll forget this tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we overcome and prevailed and won that contest yeah. that day. We got lucky and won Hawks for the Calls that year, too, with the Hawks. Yeah, got us there. You know, you had But we to, stayed with it. You know, we didn't give up. We didn't you know, We didn't quit the fight. And it's such a big piece of meat about a hog. It's not like a rib. You know, you can actually, you can recover from a mistake if you make a mistake 90% of the time. And it can limp. I always say I like to limp that hog in there. You know, to get it where it needs to be, and it would be finished off good for finals. Yeah. Uh, Do you remember the year that um, we put a hog on at Springfest, went home, came back, and uh, the hog just wasn't done at all? 
We couldn't figure out why. Oh yeah, this this is another great one. That's, that's what I learned. I need I need a padlock for the smokers. Or a good nightman. Yeah, or a good nightman. Because we came back, you know, I think our shoulders were about one forty, <laughs> right when we wrapped them. But come to find out, you know, everybody come by later that day. Oh man, how'd you do, hog? That hog was looking good. It was looking good. They took pictures with it all night. Every time somebody come by, they'd open up the cooker. <laughs> there was pictures all over the place, pictures of our hog. <laughs> That's what I mean. I should have stayed that night, but <laughs> I, locked, I should have locked the door on the smoke. I had that happen to some whole shoulders one time. They kept, it seemed like every 30 minutes they wanted to look at them, be sure that nobody stole yeah. them off the cooker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we didn't do too well in hog that no, day. No, you did it was not overcome not that day. Uh, we, we sold sauce and, and rub and. Uh, <laughs> That was some younger days, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was practice. So we have two questions I like to ask every guest. Um, what is your must-have barbecue equipment? Mm. It can be a couple things, you know. What do you I, always have with you, whether you're cooking in the backyard, contest, whatever? My thermopen. I, I, amen. That's why I, I, yeah, I, I get that by all day with long. a lot of other stuff, but I need that thermopen. Mm. It, it, it's all about. It helps me be consistent. Cook to temp. Cook to temp. I mean, you know, and, uh, ooh, you know, I'm a fan for good knives, but you can kind of get by without that. So, you know, I love a good piece of equipment, but you can cook on a variety of things. So I can't say it'd be equipment. Um, How about aluminum foil? <laughs> I was, you know, I honestly, as bad as I said, I was going to say aluminum foil. Yeah. Um, I was thinking that. Same um, brought to you by Reynolds. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, a lot of teams, you know, back in the day would say, oh, we don't use aluminum foil. And actually say now in my presentation, if a team's telling you that, they're just probably telling you a little old white lie. That's me. I'm the first one to tell them, you know, we don't, I know all these teams out here wrapping them full. If you know what you're doing, you don't have to, you don't have to have a little full. This is yeah. what it looks like. Yeah, they probably Sounded know. like John Wheeler now. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably where you got that from. So what's the other question there, Shell? What's your favorite barbecue joint? Not necessarily Memphis, just favorite barbecue joint. A lot of people's asked me this question. It's going to be Valentina's in Austin, Texas. Really? I've ate at a lot of places and love a lot of places, but I love Texas-style barbecue. And, um, you know, we've been all over Texas, and we've been together a couple times, us, out there. But Valentina's, I'm going to have to say, is my number one without a doubt. Is it a restaurant? It started out as a food trailer, and he does have a restaurant now. Um but just his brisket, um, the tacos that he does. Um, and he does a thing called a Real Deal Holyfield breakfast taco. And uh, it's got a fatty slice of brisket, homemade refried beans on it. And let me back up. The tortilla is pressed and cooked when you order it. And so it's not sitting there. He puts it on a flat top, cooks it up, smears refried beans on it, a little bit of fresh pico, fatty in the brisket. Um sunny side up egg a strip of bacon and a drizzle of his spicy barbecue sauce mm. and it's we're going to put that on the list yeah. Val- Valentino's huh? Valentina's Valentina's and uh, if you ever see Aaron Franklin wears a Valentina's shirt every now and then um, and they're really good friends but uh, Vidal is his name and he's actually a classically trained chef um, doing barbecue and started out as a taco truck and kind of was just cooking the meat for tacos and stuff and uh and got into that, and uh, it's just phenomenal. I mean, phenomenal. We'll have to put that, like you said, next time we go to Texas. I'm always looking for an excuse to go to Texas. I love yeah. Texas barbecue. I Me like too. Texas. So. Um, well, what you what do you have going on this weekend, Heath? 
This weekend, uh, I've got to go to Chicago. I've got to do a demo for Traeger Grills in Chicago uh, in Romeoville, Illinois, uh, right outside of downtown, about an hour. And um, Is it an Ace Hardware? No, it's an American sale uh, store. And they, I think they own about eight locations. Um, Green Egg's going to be there. Ray Lamp's going to be representing them. Uh, Wade Fondren from Bull Grills is going to be there. Okay. And so if you're so, in the area, go check you out. Yeah, it's going to be a really cool event. I think tickets are like 20 or $25 a piece, and you get to sample two flights of different food from us. Uh, so it'll be six good samples. You'll eat really well. Uh, you know what you're cooking already? I am. I've decided to do like a, a pork tenderloin slider with a grilled pineapple uh, coleslaw with a vinaigrette and then a grilled um, shrimp or fish taco. I don't know which one I'm doing yet. kind of depends on what Costco has when I get up there. Yeah. With a uh, um, kind of a grilled pico de gallo on it, uh, all done on and a, and a avocado <laughs> crema drizzle. I'm gonna yeah, make that everything sounds, done. That sounds on, good. On People love at demo events. The grilled pineapple does really, really well. People love it. Um, this weekend we're doing PK cookout. Cookout, yeah. yeah, in Little Rock, Arkansas. It's a big. PK grill. I hope it's better event. than last year when we went over there. <laughs> it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be about 104. <laughs> it's going to be good night. Steak trailer, it will be in effect. AC's charged up. Yeah, you know, last yeah. year they made us sit under that tent, you know, and mm-hmm. made everybody take tents down on. I was the only hard headed one, and it was about 20 of us under oh, our tent over there while it was pouring down. That's right. Yeah, we're going to miss you. As being part of the steak team, we're going to miss you there. But Have hey, you seen the trophy? It's like the lid of a PK grill. I saw that. Yeah. They, they were Martha posted it on her yeah. uh, Instagram. Well, I hope one of y'all brings it back to Desoto. Yeah, I'm gonna try, man. I'm trying to get qualified for that Fort Worth contest. Still, I hadn't. I hadn't. I know uh, you're probably gonna try to, to be there if you can in Fort Worth. I am. There's several of those state contests coming up and and all that around here. So I look to hit those, and I hope we can all roll out there together and have a good time. Yeah, state state cooking's kind of our fun time. I mean, that's when we go and all everybody. You know, we're cooking against each other, but we're all hanging out, buddies. It's not near as serious as barbecue to me. I mean, we got a barbecue, no. you know, we very rarely see each other, even though we might be side by side. It's, that's right. It's a, uh, you know, hide out and, and concentrate. A lot, of fun. a lot of fun. It's a good change of pace, especially after, you know, Memphis and May, all these other contests we've had going on. Yeah. It's, it's been a busy spring for us. We're just, we're ready to get to summer. I feel like it's finally here. We can see that green light. <laughs> we're almost reached it. Well, hey, uh, thanks for coming in this today. We really enjoyed it. I think we got a lot of information about Whole Hog. And where can folks come find you? They, want they to can find me you. on uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Heath Rouse Barbecue. And uh, my website should be launched in the next few weeks, HeathRouseBarbecue.com. Um, all new products coming out. They're going all, to- all the same products that I had under the VL line, uh, just new labels. And look for those sometime the middle of next week to be hitting everywhere. <laughs> That's great. I know folks will be excited to get stocked back up on the on, on yeah, your products. The messages and the calls are getting a little bit crazy. I need some more pork injection myself. <laughs> I'm smooth. I'm down to my lose my last bag for Memphis in May. So I need to, I need well, since you get some of that ordered, I need to get with you. Oh yeah. But uh yeah, thanks Heath. If anybody has any questions about cooking hogs or anything, hey hit Heath up. I mean I know you you uh you answer a lot of questions too, so uh don't you know, don't be scared to reach out to Heath and uh 
you know, of course, you can send them to us on our Facebook and Twitter. You can uh, connect with Malcolm at How to Barbecue Right on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at Miss Southern Shell. That's about it for today, man. We appreciate it, Heath. And, uh, Thank you Let's do it again sometime. Maybe, maybe I can get you back and uh, you can do one of these little teach and learn videos for me. Show me how to cook something on the grill and... Uh, you know, we'll do we'll do a YouTube video. How about that? We can work it out. Let's do it. All right, man. Well, hey, y'all have a good one. We'll see y'all next time.